Well, good morning, Watermark. How are we doing? All right, all right. Let me pray that um, the words of my mouth would be a blessing to you. Father, I do ask, as we gather right now and continue our worship by just meditating on your word, that wherever we're at, I know there's friends in this room who don't know you, don't have an, a, an alive, abiding relationship with you. They think that you're a God to be appeased, performed for. I pray, Lord, that you'd be gracious to them, that they would hear the kind of lover and leader and friend that you are, and I pray that those of us who have become your friend, by the grace that you provided for us on the cross, that we would be conformed in your image so that more people can see your kindness and they can order their lives in a way that they can be the kind of blessing and leader you intend them to be. We love you and we thank you. Just open the eyes of our heart so we might see you. Amen. Well, uh, this series we're in, This is the Life, we're taking attributes that are consistent with what a life informed by wisdom looks like, and we are studying them. Our, 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 our youth, really our children, kindergarten through fifth grade, they look at these things. They spend a month on each of these things, twice in a six-year period, where they're learning what the attribute is of wisdom, what happens if you don't live according to it, how Jesus is the fullness expression of that so that Jesus would be their hero and they would understand that they're not to have behavior modification as their goal, but Christ-likeness as their goal and Christ has made provision for them so they could be like him. When you are all the things that God intends us to be, when you look at this book and specifically as you study and listen to the Proverbs, you will become a great leader. I just want you to think about what we've done this year as we've come to back what we're calling kind of volume three of This is the Life series. We'll have one more time sometime in the years ahead that we'll finish all of these. So all 36 attributes will have been taught to all our body on a, um, a Sunday gathering. But specifically, think about a person who is righteous, courageous, content, discerning, peace-filled, respectful of others, obedient, who perseveres, who's good, whose heart reeks gratitude, who is kind and who is humble, all things that we are studying or have studied this fall, you would go, I want that person to be my leader. It's exactly the kind of leader that you want. We're always going to be serving or underneath a shadow of perfect leadership until Christ himself reigns on earth and that day is coming. But until then, what he's doing is he is rescuing people from being in bondage to the spirit of this age, the God of this world and the flesh so that we might be citizens of this coming kingdom who bring the advanced blessing that will fully be here when our king comes. Godly people, wise people are leaders. And if there is a crisis of anything in our land today, there is a crisis of leadership. Our world is always looking for great leaders, which means they ought to always be looking for Christians. Let me say that to you again. Our world is always looking for great leaders, which means they ought to always be looking for people who are being conformed in the image of Christ. If you take any time and walk through a leadership section of a bookstore, you're gonna see books that all teach you things about being a great leader that are consistent with who Christ was. Jesus, CEO. Jesus, servant leader. You'll have a lot of books that won't even mention Jesus, but describe him if they're talking about the best kind of leaders. And our world is having a serious leadership crisis. I, um, I talk to leaders of other churches a lot, and they say things to me like, man, Todd, we've got two problems. Number one, we're not attracting the next generation. And number two, we have a leadership uh, development problem, which are tells, and I tell them this as kindly as I can. I go, well, no offense, but what you're basically saying to me is you're not Jesus' church. And they go, what? I go, well, listen, young people have always been drawn to Jesus. In fact, the disciples that God used to change the world, they were young people, late teens, early 20s, and they saw that there was a rabbi who wasn't just trying to collect disciples like trinkets. He was calling them to be fishers of men. Instead of making a live fish dead, they were gonna make dead men alive and they were gonna speak against power and they were gonna rescue folks from the oppression of dead religion and ultimately be the means to which they would be escaping godless governments that were around the world. God is a reformer. 
God is a rescuer. This is not a leadership manual. This is an autobiography of the greatest leader who has ever lived in all of eternity. It's the story of God, and it tells how God has rescued people who are enslaved. And as you are rescued, you become friends with God, and the Spirit of God indwells you, and you are increasingly sanctified, or to say it another way, conformed into the image of Christ, who is the greatest leader that ever lived. Because even though he was a king, he didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Great leaders always use their power and their blessing to serve others. Small leaders, worldly leaders, use their power and blessing to stay in power. Jesus wants to share his blessing with you and me. When I hear church leaders say, ah, we can't attract the next generation, I go, that's because you're trying to get people to come to your church. Is there anything less inspiring than saying, ah, I got a watermark? I mean, that doesn't inspire me. Or even worse, I got a Todd Wagner's church, right? I'm like, first of all, Todd Wagner doesn't have a church. Jesus does, and we get to be a part of it. Number two, I don't want you to go to anything. I want you to be a part of the body of Christ. Church is not some ethereal thing out there, some organism we evaluate. We are the church, and we are part of what God wants to do and is doing. So when I tell them, you can't attract, we can't attract people, it's because you're trying to get people to show up and validate you with their presence. And guys don't wanna be a part of your organization and give to your work. They wanna be a part of the work that God is doing. When kids come to you and say, this Halloween, mom, I wanna dress up, they don't ever say, mommy, would you dress me up as somebody who pays their taxes and mows their lawn as a good neighbor? Nobody, nobody wants to be a state farm agent for Halloween. They want to be a hero. They want to change the world. They want to rescue people. Firemen, policemen, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman. That's what they want to be because it's innate in them that this world isn't right and I'm going to do something about it. Secondly, when I hear there's a leadership development problem, what they're basically saying is we don't know how to make disciples. Leaders are disciples because they're learning to love and lead like Jesus. We have a crisis of leadership in our country, which means we've got a crisis with the church. And the reason we have a crisis with the church is because churches are not led by leaders. They're led by pastors, often non-courageous ones, who are trying to collect people. When people heard about what we were gonna start 20 years ago, when we looked around and we didn't wanna go to any church that we saw, I'm just being very honest, We go, there's gotta be more. I don't wanna be effective and just go to that place. I want to live with people who every week remind me who I am, that are partnering with me throughout the week. And we gather together on the weekends to sing of our God, remind ourselves we weren't crazy, and go back at it in small platoons again. We gather so we scatter effectively together. That's what we do. And, And the fruit of what you've been doing was all over that video we just showed. It's Christ in you which is the hope of glory. But what happens so much, this is, by the way, not a new problem. You're gonna see it's always been a problem that leaders become selfish and leaders try and collect people so they feel self-important as leaders. We don't have lions in the pulpits who are calling people to think. So we, we set out and we said, Lord, we're not gonna criticize, we're gonna create. We're not gonna curse the darkness, we're gonna light a candle. We're gonna be about what you want us to be about and we're gonna take seriously what you say your church should be and we're gonna just effort to be a part of it. And I know, God, you're gonna do something in the world today to make your name more famous and so if you're willing, why not with us? And then he told us, why not with us? Because our hearts will not be completely his so he can't strongly support us. So we said, Lord, all we wanna do is excel excel no more. We wanna learn more of your ways and have less of us and more of you. But Spurgeon said, happened to be a great pastor who lived about 150 plus years ago, he just said this, the day's gonna come where instead of having shepherds feeding the flock, we're gonna have clowns running circuses, I would insert, for goats. In other words, we're gonna put on a show and get you to come and, and, and tithe, give tickets to come back and the show will be there next week. And I would say, what they'll often do is they'll say, I'm not gonna you know, ask too much of you so you'll come back. 
but you just keep validating me with your presence and then we'll both tell each other we're doing what God wants us to do. That's not leadership. People said to me, Todd, if you ask people to walk with Jesus that way, you're crazy. This is Dallas, Texas. There's a church in every single street corner and, and there, there are places that people can go and just be left alone. And I said, well, let their blood be on somebody else's hands because I'm not trying to collect people. I'm just trying to find brothers and sisters who want to run with me. And we're trying to then share the life that we have found in Christ with others. We're trying to be conformed to his image so we can be the hands and feet of Christ and love people. And I would just say, look what God has done. And I want to encourage you with this. I don't care where you are or where you've been or what you've done. Who you can be is a blessing and a leader. I want you to hear me say that again. I don't care where you've been or what you've done, who you can be is a leader and a blessing. And when you meet Christ and when you learn his ways and when you conform to his image, God is going to use you not to add to the trouble but to lead others out of darkness. There's a crisis of leadership in our country. That means we've got a church problem. And the beauty of that, it means we don't get anybody else to change but people who call themselves the church. A guy named Charles Finney said a long time ago this. He said, if there's a decay of conscience, and there's a decay of conscience in our country, wouldn't you agree, then the pulpit's responsible for it. If the public press lacks moral discernment, the pulpit's responsible for it. If the church is degenerate and worldly, the pulpit is responsible for it. If the world loses its interest in Christianity, the pulpit is responsible for it. If Satan rules in our halls of legislation, the pulpit is responsible for it. If it's legal to kill people, if it's legal to oppress people through slavery, the pulpit is responsible for it. He didn't say that, I did. If our politics become so corrupt that the very foundations of our government are ready to fall away, Finney says the pulpit's responsible for it. I agree. By the way, you've got a pulpit. The pulpit is the platform from which you live and which you speak, and God wants you to bring forth the word with your life and with your living. God wants you to be a leader. It's the life. All of us are leaders. Every single one of us have an opportunity. And when you've got an unaddressed problem with a people, you always have a problem with a leader. Whenever you've got an unaddressed problem with a people, you've got a problem with a leader. In Ezekiel chapter 22, you see this in verse 23 through 31. Um, Ezekiel is pronouncing judgment on the land. The church didn't exist yet, but if you will, the people of God were gathered in Israel. They were to be a kingdom of priests, just like the church today, made up of Jew and Gentile, is to be a kingdom of priests. There's not just one pulpit, it's a group of pulpiteers who live to faithfully proclaim the word of God. And what he's saying is, back in that day, there was a problem because the leaders that God wanted to lead weren't leading, just like today. People go to church, they aren't the church. They uh, evaluate pulpits. They don't realize that they're supposed to improve theirs. Ezekiel 22 says this. The word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, say to her, meaning the nation of Israel, you are a land that is not cleansed. You're not rained on with blessing or, or purified because this is the day of indignation is what's implied. So here it is, verse 25. Here's the problem. There's a conspiracy of prophets. The prophets all agree we're not gonna teach what we should, but instead, they are a roaring lion tearing the prey. They devour lives. They've taken treasure and precious things. They've made many widows in the midst of her because they don't speak truth. So not just the prophets, but now the priests. The, the spiritual leaders have done violence to my law. They've profaned my holy things. They've made no distinction between the holy and the profane. They call evil good and good evil. They've not taught the difference between the unclean and the clean. And they hide their eyes from my Sabbath and other laws. And I'm profaned among them. So we've got a problem with the prophets and with the priests, and we've got a problem now with the leaders, the princes, the government leaders. They're like wolves tearing the prey by shedding blood and destroying lives in order to get to Sinus game. Now back to those who speak truth to government. Because God always says for a land to prosper, you need three things. You need a healthy family, which is to train and disciple. That's the job of the family. You need a healthy government, which is to um, praise those who do right and punish those who do wrong. And you need the church, which is to remind and rebuke the government and the family of what they need to be about. And so he goes back to the prophets and he says this, you smeared whitewash for people. They saw false visions and divining lies for them, saying, thus says the Lord God when the Lord hasn't said that. 
Boy, don't we have that? And so God says this, and here's what I want you to hear. This is now about us, not about Israel, not about the they out there. This is about us right here. Because God says in verse 30, I am searching today for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand in the gap before me for the land. He said then, I found no one. I found no one to keep me from destroying it. Nobody was being what I wanted them to be. And so what I want to tell you today, the eyes of the Lord are still going to and fro throughout the earth looking for somebody who is willing to be part of God's means of grace. Whenever God wants to deliver a people, he runs up a deliverer. Whenever God wants grace to come in a family, he raises up a father, a godly mother, a godly sibling, a godly child, daughter or son that brings righteousness into the family and brings reformation into that particular home. Great leaders love and serve their people. And wisdom is what allows us to love and serve. Again, this is not a leadership manual, Proverbs specifically, which is a book that I have given so much of my heart, so much of my time, so much of my life to, I hardly think without a proverb informing what I am thinking at that particular moment, what I'm saying at that particular moment. But this is not a leadership manual. It's not moral therapeutic deism. This is an autobiography of the greatest leader that has ever existed in eternity. It's about God. And it's what God is doing in the midst of revealing his kindness. And part of that is he is rescuing you from the wages due your sins and mine and calling us to repent. Uh, this week, I was involved with a, um, a little bit of a, um, a shoot for some folks that were doing, um, we got a group of us together to talk about racism. And, and the moderator kept just saying, like, you know, we've got racial tensions and all this different stuff, and we're here, we represent different races, and I finally just couldn't stand it anymore. I go, no, we do not represent different races. There is one race, there's one God, one Lord, one Father, who is over all and in all. There is no Difference in races here. We have different ethnicities. We have different tribes. Tribes look like me, enslaved tribes that look like you for a long time in our country because we didn't know there was one God. We are all one blood. And we have been wrong to one another. And we have been tribal and selfish. And we've got to work through that. We've got to own what we have personally done, what people who look like us have done. But man, let's just fix what's going on right here. The way we're going to start to get along it's not by looking alike, but by loving like God. Seeking forgiveness, extending forgiveness. God brings us together. I mean, can I just, you know, when God brings a people together for his purposes, there is grace that comes to a land. I was, um, I, I do this, this thing that helps me be um, God's servant and, and, and to think like he wants me to think and to pray like he wants me to pray. There's a website called Operation World, okay? And, and you can um, download it. Here's a, a picture of Operation World's website. Just Google Operation World, and you can sign up. And every day, I get a different country sent to me. It goes alphabetically, you know, through the entire uh, parade of nations. And so where we're at today is um, you at the end of the year. And so the United States is what I've been praying for. I pray for the United States all the time. But what's great about this is there's, I can't tell you how many times I've been in an Uber or a Lyft and I'm sitting there and I engage somebody who's driving me and a lot of times they're from uh, different lands and they go, man, I prayed for your country today. And, uh, and man, I was, you know, I understand a little bit about their land because I was praying specifically for it, different mission agencies that are working there, you know, what the um, ethnicity is of it, what the basic faith system is of it, what God's doing and what the challenges are. And it's been amazing. Go, you were praying for my country today? I go, yes. And I was praying for my country today. One of the things that just hit me as I was praying for it is it just talked about how God has used America to literally be a means of grace to every nation on earth. Did you know that? We are the most mission-sending nation in the history of the world. There's a few unreached people groups tucked in certain places that don't have a scripture in their own language yet, but the United States more than any other country that ever existed has taken the gospel out. Why? Because about 400, 500 years ago, there were a group of people that came here and they said, we're gonna build our society in this new world on God's old law. We're gonna to return to the ancient past. And they wanted to, 
form a community of people that loved and honored God and that built themselves on the covenants that God had with people who sought him, and they got after it. I'm talking about the pilgrims. I'm not talking about 1776. In 1776, when we started, and we're 100 years after the pilgrims, we'd already gone a little astray on some of that because certain tribes started shipping other tribes to make money and oppressing them. And we said all men were created equal and we treated certain men as less equal than others. It was our first national sin and it needed to be repented of. And we went to war to fix it. And we should have. But the weapons of our warfare that we have today, right, are divinely powerful. They're, not, they're spiritual, not physical. And we go to war fighting for the hearts of men. And, um, you know, when I was talking in this little deal with my friends, uh, talking about racial relations, one of the guys just say, well, you know, the word re uh, repent has become a curse word in the church. And I just took that and I said, and because the word repent has become a curse word in the church, it's why the word church has become a curse word, word to the world. Because we still think it's up to us to just to do better, try a little harder, and it's not. It's not. Ours is to decrease that he might increase. Great leaders love and serve, and wisdom is what allows us to love and serve. So when you commit yourself to this book, it says in Proverbs 10, 21, the lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of understanding. God wants to give you your lips, on your lips, words of life. Proverbs eleven fourteen, where there is no guidance, the people fall, but an abundance of counselors, wise counselor, counselors that learn from the wonderful counselor. It says it brings about great victory. Just like God brought together a group of people years ago to this land, and they, they did their best to form the land on God's word, and, and Lord knows we've drifted from that a little bit since then, but we can run back towards it. God's always looking in this land for a man, a woman, to stand in the gap before him for the land so that he would not destroy it. And the question today I'm asking you is, will he find you? Will he find us? I don't care where you've been or what you've been doing, what you can be today is being conformed more into the image of blessing and leadership that God intends for you. Can I just encourage you with this? 20 years ago when we decided to not criticize but to create, it was a bunch of guys who looked just like me in my tribe, right? But over the years, over the last 20 years, I don't know if you've noticed, we don't look like we're all from the same tribe anymore. In fact, tonight is our international Christmas potluck where we're gonna have folks from over 90 different nations, like born in almost 100 different nations who are part of Watermark now right here because our city is one of the largest settlement cities in our country in terms of immigration. And, um, and so we just love our city. We love the people in our city. We have gone all around the world in the last 20 years from this body. We have members who are serving in other places and we have different times we're, we're serving as we just saw in that video a little bit ago. But right here in our own city, we don't need to go anywhere. We just gotta love people from other places that are in our city and they've got relationships back in, those world, in the world. And what God is doing is he's bringing us together under our one God and one Father who has saved us all and loves the world. And we're starting to look like, more like our city because we love everybody that we meet. Dallas has gotten better because more of his church has showed up these last two decades. And this church can get better when more of him shows up on each of us. This is the life, gang. Less of me, less of you, more of Jesus. And when a leader gets better, everybody wins. When a leader gets better, every single person wins. Let me just show you this. This is, this is Proverbs 28, 15. Like a roaring lion and a rushing bear is a wicked ruler over a poor people. I don't know about you, but like a rushing bear is not good news. A roaring lion means I'm coming after you. Proverbs eleven ten. When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. And when the wicked perish, there is joyful shouting. If you don't believe me, just rent the Wizard of Oz. I mean, they come out of everywhere, right? Ding dong, the wicked witch is dead. Ding dong, my wicked dad has repented. Ding dong, my mom's not an alcoholic. Ding dong, my older brother found Christ. Ding dong. I mean, it's just a time of singing and joy. And you can be that transformed individual if you'll just say, God, 
more of you, less of me. I repent. I don't want to be a, a curse word anymore. There are some of you guys that have a hard time saying father because of the father you had. And our job is to make sure that doesn't happen in our homes. And our job is to make sure that the church of Jesus is not a curse word in this city, but a blessing. When the righteous triumph, I said, there is great glory, Solomon said, but when the wicked rise, men hide themselves. I think of my friend Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel was the um, legal editor of the Chicago Tribune. He was an attorney by trade, a journalist, uh, and wrote all the articles related to law and things of that sort for the Chicago Tribune. He was a renowned and proud atheist. His wife, um, who saw the trouble that was in her marriage, um, was befriended by somebody and invited them to a place where the Spirit of God was at work and his word was being taught and his wife started to, to move more towards his faith community and Lee said, what are you doing? All, right, all these people are gonna do is collect you like a trinket and then they're gonna start having you give them money, which means my money that I'm out there working for. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna use all my legal skills and I'm gonna show you that these people are a hoax. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go in there and I'm gonna find out um, what the racket is they're really running and I'm gonna save you from a life of distraction. And as Lee started to do that, he didn't just see integrity in this church, he started to look at what they said they believed and he tried to disprove the resurrection and the veracity of God's word and he was converted. He wrote a book called Case for Christ, The Case for Faith, The Case for God, The Case for Creation. He's one of our more, more influential communicators about the integrity of the truth of the word of God that you don't have to commit intellectual suicide to be a believer. Lee Strobel, though, when he was still an atheist, talks about how when he would come home, you know, um, from work and pound a few, you know, at the local bar and then stumble into the door, he said whenever he would walk in that door at night, his little girl would be playing in the living room and she'd gather up all her toys real quick and say, hi, daddy, hi, daddy, and she'd get her toys and then she would go in her own room and for a while he thought, what a great kid, right? Understands I've been working out there all day trying to make sure I can buy toys for her and, and she, um, she just wants to give me a little time to put my feet up, you know, watch the news and uh, read the paper, the evening edition of it, and get ready for my tomorrow and uh, get a little food in me. What a great kid. But then he realized that the reason that little girl was leaving was not because she wanted to give her daddy space, but because he was a roaring lion and a rushing bear. And when wicked dads show up, children hide themselves. And he saw when his life changed, that same little girl used to gather her toys and leave and go in the room, would bring her toys and say, Daddy, sit with me and play with me. When a leader gets better, everybody wins. I don't care what you've done or where you've been, who you can be is a source of blessing. A source of judgment or a sign of judgment on a land is that there is a lack of leadership. That's one of the ways God always shows you that there's judgment on a land. In Isaiah chapter three, let me just read this to you. It says, for behold, the Lord of God of hosts is going to remove from Jerusalem and Judah both supply and support, the whole supply of bread and the whole supply of water, the mighty man and the warrior, gone. The judge and the prophet, gone. The diviner, the one who can sense what's true and divine, gone. The elder, gone. The captain of 50 and honorable men, gone. The counselor and the expert artisan, gone. The skillful enchanter, gone. And I'm gonna make lads their princes. and capricious children will rule over them. Have you been watching C-SPAN? Have you been following our president's Twitter account? I mean, come on, guys, this is crazy. And it says the people will be oppressed and each one, one by one, each one by his neighbor and the youth will storm against the elder. Are you seeing that? Because they're like, I, I don't know if this, is, this country's crazy. And so they're trying to with all these different ideas. Have you looked at what's happening in our country because there's a leadership crisis? It's just crazy. I mean, you look at what's coming out of our White House in terms of um, attitude. I mean, I'm all for the appointment of godly judges, it looks like, and men who don't want to adjudicate from the bench, and, and there's certain policies and, and things that are happening that I'm like, okay, good. Um, you know, our president last night, for the first time in years, stood at the Christmas tree lighting and said, the reason that Christmas exists is because of Jesus. Christmas isn't a season. It marks a historical event, the birth of Jesus Christ. And I'm like, amen. 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 Follow him. Tweet like him. <laughs> wow. 
Keep your pants buckled like him. Speak like him. Listen, I pray for my president. I don't care if his last name is Obama or Clinton or Bush or Trump. And that's why God says this. By the way, if you're here and you've got a problem with your pastor, pray for your pastor. I promise he'll get better. If you don't like the pastor you got, pray for him. If you don't like the president you got, pray for him. Are you praying for your pastor? Are you praying for your senators? Are you looking at the people who are trying to get the White House? I mean, it's just crazy, right? I mean, you, you listen to them talk, and it's like, I've got kids, and my kids all ran for student council when they were in elementary school. And I'm looking at the people that are running for student council in, in D.C., and I'm like, are you kidding me? What did my kids do when they ran for student council? If I am student council representative from Mrs. You know, Mahoney's class, we will have donuts every morning. <laughs> we'll have pizza at lunch, not that food that no one knows what it is. No more succotash, no more mixed vegetables. We'll have ice cream every day. I'm gonna extend recess. Everybody's gonna get free Wi-Fi. No more college debt, free college. I'm like, oh my goodness. Leadership problem, which means we are not teaching people have an appetite for what God says will be a blessing to them. When a leader gets better, everybody wins. And when God's wisdom informs our life, when God's wisdom informs our life, we are the leaders that God wants for his people. Because God loves people, and so he wants wisdom to inform the life of leaders. This book can help us be those leaders. People sometimes say to me, Todd, are you surprised what the Lord has done at Watermark these last 20 years? And I, I go, no. I'm not surprised at all because I know who did this. I know whose work this is. I know I had loaves and fish and I did the best just to give it to him and, and to make my heart his and to surround myself with other friends who wanted more of him. And we said, God, why not us? We know you're going to do something today in this world to make your name more famous. And if you're willing, God, why not for us? Why not us? And so we picked up this book and we looked at it and we studied it and we did our best to apply it to our lives and to order our lives according to it. And guess what? A bunch of you were looking for the same thing. And then we've encouraged each other day after day. We've admonished the unruly. We've encouraged the faint-hearted. We've helped the weak. We've shown patience to one another, but we've been about it. We don't just have goals that we aspire to or vision we aspire to. We've made them our actual way of living. We live on mission together. We don't go to church. We are the church. And look what God has done. And I think our best days are ahead of us. Of course I'm not surprised at what has happened here. On the other hand, I'm completely shocked because I know who I am. I know who you were. Titus 3.3 says, for we were also once foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved of various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. We were not leaders. And we met Christ. And he changed our hearts. And we started to learn to do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit with humility of mind, consider others as more important than ourselves to not merely look out for our own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. We started to be conformed to his image. We started to, to use our blessing to be a blessing. And we didn't live for our own comfort, but to bring comfort to others. We weren't about living, you know, being alive to make a living. We were alive to make a difference. And look at what God has done. And all I want to say is, don't you want more? You know what we should have done today when we got done showing that video? We should have just gotten our knees and just thank God for what he's done. We're like the pilgrims. Have you looked at the last 20 years of what he's done with us? It's unbelievable. And I want more. I want to figure out what our little slavery is that we haven't dealt with. I want to figure out what our drift is so we can repent of it. And I want to be more about it. Don't you want more? I do. I know I do. God has given us the ability to be the leaders that he wants us to be. I'm not surprised. Because when we started... We just said, Lord, not our will, but your will be done. In 1 Kings chapter 3, this is exactly what, what uh, Solomon did. Solomon, you know, it says in, in, in 1 Kings 3, 5, it says that the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night because your dreams are informed by what you're thinking. Solomon obviously had just found out he was going to be king. He went to bed probably with a little anxiety, a little stressed. And the Lord, as Scripture says in Psalm 127, gives to his beloved even in their sleep. And so Solomon in his sleep has a dream, and God appears to him and says, Solomon, what do you want? I'll give you anything you ask for. And Solomon, because he had been trained by a father who knew the dangers of leaving God, had been told, you want to seek God. And so he said, God, I want more of you. I want wisdom. This was the conversation. And God was pleased with that request. 
that the thoughts and intentions, the direction of Solomon's conscience and heart was, God, give me more of you. I don't know how to go out or come in. I'm just a child. So give your servant an understanding heart that I might judge between good and evil and discern and love your people for who else can lead a people but someone that you allow to and it pleased God. And Solomon started off wonderfully, but what happened is he got arrogant and he moved away. But Solomon was the leader that brought about the greatest expansion of the kingdom of God in the history of Israel because he had more wisdom than anybody and until he started to quench and to reject that wisdom, it was a time of great blessing. And that's what's gonna happen here. The more we take the wisdom of God, the more we pray, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Father, deliver us from the evil one. Give us the chance to show your glory and your power. We're not gonna work for you. We're gonna be available for you to work in us. Solomon just says this, this is it. Don't just acquire wisdom. When David taught him, this is Proverbs chapter four, verses five through nine. He says, acquire wisdom, David, probably to Solomon. Acquire wisdom, Solomon, acquire understanding. Do not forget her, don't turn from her. Don't turn away from the words of your dad who's instructing you in this way. Don't forsake wisdom. And she will guard you, love her, and she will watch over you. The scripture says, the beginning of wisdom is this, acquire wisdom, right? You thought the beginning of wisdom was the fear of the Lord. Well, that is wisdom. Know that God is good and you don't wanna miss a thing from him. The beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom. And with all you're acquiring, get understanding. Understanding is knowing how to apply wisdom. People come to me because of you and they go, what's going on there, Todd? I mean, something's happening there on LBJ and happening in Frisco and Plano and Fort Worth and hopefully South Dallas and other places of the world. They watch you and they go, what are you guys doing? And I just kind of go, well, it's kind of embarrassing. We're on our knees, we're studying God's word, we're asking God what he wants us to do, we're reading his word, we're applying it to our lives, we're, we're, we're calling men to repent, women to repent, and we're asking them to be devoted to Jesus. Yeah, okay, I, I don't know, but what are you guys doing? I go, no guys, it's embarrassing. We're just teaching the word, we're trying to live according to it. We're admonishing each other and we're encouraging each other and helping each other. We're making disciples. The things which we've learned from God, we're, we're, we're teaching to others so that they can teach others also. Yeah, yeah, I know, but what are you doing? I'm like, oh, bro, you don't get it. That's why you're struggling, because you're a clown in a circus trying to get the goats to buy tickets again next week. This is what we're doing. Anyone can be a leader. Anyone, if you learn to follow. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You want to know what we're doing, Mr. Church leader who comes to want to find out how to make the body that you're a part great? Here's how. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on all your understanding and all your little church growth techniques. Make disciples. Call people to be disciples. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. You got a leadership problem, it means you have a discipleship problem, which means you're not Jesus' church. And you guys are leaders everywhere. Each one of you, as you received a gift, you're good stewards and employing it and serving one another. It's good stewards of the manifold grace of God because you're a kingdom of priests, because you want to be what Jesus wants you to be. You want to be a bunch of goats who just come here, some clown, hold your attention. You want to get after it, and God's at work here. Anybody can be a leader if they learn to follow. I was so funny, you know, the guys that help with all the different stuff, you know, they always say, what do you got, Todd? And I gave them like nine pages of scripture and they were looking at it just in case I want to go to it, you know, and, and, and I love what JJ said to me. He goes, oh, what a surprise. You gave us a lot of scripture. And I thought, man, what a great thing for guys to make fun of me behind my back about. When Todd talks, it's going to be all over the Bible and it's going to be a lot of Bible. Praise God. You know, I mean, we've got a lot of different guys around here, you know, and um, they're teaching more and I'm trying to raise up the next generation of leaders and they talk a lot about openers and how to get people's attention and I just get sometimes so sick of it. I go, I mean, it's great, right, to be winsome and all that. I go, you guys want a good opener? Here's a good opener. Open your Bibles with me. Make that your opener. That's a good opener. I don't need seven minutes of some spectacular illustration so I'm open to listening to you. And by the way, you know, I'm not against illustrations, but let illustrations illumine the word of God. But let's go, open your Bible with me. Amen. Give attention to the public reading of scripture because that's what's going to be useful for people. There's your opener, open your Bible with me. 
I was talking to a guy on the phone this week, and we were talking about how to work together to be, um, you know, partnering in, in, in some idea how we can serve people in the name of Jesus. And, and there was a line, and it came to me this way. Hey, I know, Wagner, this isn't spiritual, but listen to me, I've got an idea. And I just go, whoa, whoa, before you go forward, let me just stop you right there. Did you hear what you just said? Repeat that back to me. He goes, what, what? I go, what'd you just say? But um, I said, I've got an idea. No, before that, you said, I know this isn't spiritual, but... And I go, and we're trying to figure out how to get it, how we can do something. And, and you're about to say, I know I'm thinking in a way that's not informed by the word of God. And I know you want to include people. What he was going to go on to say is we ought to include certain people in certain things because they represent a lot of other people and they're big influencers. And if we get them involved, we'll get other people involved. And I'm like, no, that sounds a lot to me like what all the kings did in the Old Testament where they go, I'll tell you what, I know we're supposed to trust God, but Egypt sure has a big army. Let's make a treaty with Egypt. And I go, that didn't work out well for them. It's not gonna work out for us. So anyway, what were you gonna say? And he goes, man, why you always gotta bring Bible into everything? And I go, because I always want wisdom in everything. It's just not that hard to be a leader if you'll just acknowledge that God is the one that you want to lead. If this will encourage you, look at Jesus. John chapter five, verse 19. Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself unless it's something he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that's what the son does in like manner. Jesus, CEO, Jesus, the great servant leader, all he did when he became man. Okay, so just a little Christmas theology for you here, right? Jesus was always God, always existed. When Jesus was spoken into existence in the incarnate son of the Virgin Mary, he took on human nature. He didn't stop being God, but he didn't regard equality with God something to be held onto, to be grasped, Philippians 2 says. He laid it aside. It didn't mean he didn't have it anymore. It just means I'm not gonna pull, pull that tool out of my pocket. I'm gonna live just like Todd Wagner lives, even though I'm God. And he was the perfect man. Why was he the perfect man? Because he always did what perfect men do. They lean not on their own understanding, but in all their ways they acknowledge him, and God makes their path straight so they don't get deviated off into some rabbit trail of death. They don't lead people to valleys of destruction. And folks go, man, that looks like a good way, and they follow. And Jesus says, you wanna know what I'm doing? What the Father wants. This is John 5.30. He goes on to say in John chapter 5.30, I do nothing on my own initiative. I can't because I'm the perfect man. As I hear, I judge. But the Father tells me I do, and my judgment's just because I don't seek my will, but the will of him who sent me. That's why I'm good, because the Father is in me. I am one with the Father. You see me, you see the Father. What made Jesus a great leader? Same thing that can make you a great leader. And now the Father chose to reveal certain things through Jesus and do things through Jesus to show exactly who Jesus was, and God wants to do certain things in you and through you, and he might reveal things to you, he might do powerful things through you. Why? To show who God is and show who Jesus is. John 8, 28, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I'm he, and I don't do anything on my own initiative, but I speak what the Father taught me. Guys, this is spiritual leadership. You don't have to be wise, you just gotta go, I don't know what to do based on God's word, so I'm not gonna do anything until I know what God's word says. That's spiritual leadership. There might be people in your room who know more wisdom and word than you do, but you can be the spiritual leader because you understand you shouldn't do anything until that wisdom is applied. So keep learning more, but there you go. So let me just tell you this, great leaders are made. They're not born. I get this all the time. Tyler, great leaders made or born? Right? It's like people go, well, Todd, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Well, the answer is the chicken. The chicken came first, not the egg. Read your Bible, all right? God didn't make an egg, he made a chicken. So save your philosophy class a lot of time. Chicken is the answer, all right? Now, leader, okay, leaders are made, they're not born. Now, there are certain people with charismatic gifts, they got the it factor, you know, big personality, all that different stuff. That makes them maybe somebody that others will look to and maybe they can even lead, but they're not a great leader until they're made in the image of Christ. 
So watch this, Proverbs eleven thirteen. The integrity of the upright will guide them. Proverbs 12, 24, the hand of the diligent will rule. Proverbs 12, 27, the precious possession of a man is diligence. Proverbs 13, 18, poverty and shame will come to him who neglects discipline, not leadership opportunities. But the one who regards reproof by wisdom will be honored and followed, I add. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. God is the greatest leader and he wants to conform you into his image. When I um, was talking about the guys that were gonna lead with me at Watermark in the early days, the best thing that the, the, the founding families of Watermark did is, is we all agreed early on that, that the best leadership is team leadership. It's all over your scripture. And so they served with me in the role of leaders, but we didn't feel like the best way to pick leaders for a church is the first five guys that showed up. And so, so what we said is we're gonna find other godly men who are gonna become elders, pastors, along with Todd. And so, you know, for we spent about 18 months watching guys, watch the way they led and served and humbled themselves and disciplined themselves and were diligent to learn more of God's word. And we eventually said, we think you guys ought to be the men that lead us going forward. And on the day that we installed those men, I gave a message and the title of that message was, this is the greatest day in the history of our church or it's the beginning of the end because leadership is everything. I wanna remind you, you're a leader. People will prosper or suffer underneath your leadership. And the guys that have been part of the pastoral leadership of this church from the beginning have been men on their knees who say, not my will, but your will be done. Oh God, deliver us from evil. Oh God, give us what we need today. And so we've said so many things, even the way we built these buildings with no debt, right? Because we've just said, Lord, Give us what we need. We can't wait for our new building. And so we're not gonna wait. You don't have a building today? So for the first eight years, we didn't have a building. We didn't own a piece of property. We just got after it. We actually bought property five years in and then we could develop it over the next four. As God brought the bread we needed, we did it. And we just said, meanwhile, Lord, let us be your men. Let us be your people. And it says in the scripture in 1 Timothy 3, it's a trustworthy statement. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, if anybody wants to be a leader, it's a fine work he desires to do. Here's the kind of leader you should appoint. Listen, this is the kind of guy you should marry, girls. This is the kind of person you want yoking yourself with. Church, these are the folks that you should say, lead us as we seek more of God. Watch this, they should be above reproach. And so then he stops and he just gives nine different ideas of what above reproach leaders are. It's not anything about their competency in terms of skill, it's everything to do with their character. And so all of these are just illustrating this is above reproach. In other words, they're marked by fidelity. The husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, doesn't mean they've got one to many gifts, it just means when there's a topic that comes up that needs to be addressed, they're able to open the word of God and say, this is what the Lord has said. Therefore, this is what we should do. Not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle and peaceable, free from the love of money. They're not here to make a living, they're here to make a difference. They must be somebody who manages their own household well keeping children under control with all dignity. Can I tell you what I look back in the last 20 years with the most gratitude towards God for? It's that now my wife and I, by the kindness of God, because we've led our home this way, our kids love each other. We just had an amazing Thanksgiving. There was peace at our table. They're friends. They do things together. They're starting, three of them, their own families. They're receiving admonishment and correction. They're growing. They desire more of Jesus. They've all taken the name of Jesus as their own and I am so grateful. And to God be the glory. We're not a perfect family, but we want more of him. Church, we're not a perfect family, but we want more of him. Can I just say this to us, though, church? If we're not loving and leading at home, we're not the lover or the leader we need to be. I just close with this. There was a guy, there's a group of you, 
who live out east here, just like lived up north in Frisco, that are starting to gather together. There's about 60 to 100 folks who are members who come in from over there on the other side of the lake, and they're just meeting together. And I went and was with them this week, and they're praying about what God would have them do in that particular geography. And they gave testimonies to one another, and one of the guys just stood up, and in his testimony just said this, the greatest day, as he was sharing his story, the greatest day of my life is the day that my mom and dad sat us down and said they've taken hold of the faith. And they've come to understand who Jesus is. And he said, it just changed my life. It was a day of amazing joy. We started to be involved with the church and my family radically changed. But then he said, it wasn't long after that that my parents came back and said, they're no longer gonna love or live with each other. And he said, it devastated me. And sent me on a 10 year course of self-destruction and poor self-leadership and anger at God. When a leader gets better, everybody gets better. You're a leader. And there are children and wives and husbands that are looking to you to bring grace into the home, grace into the land. God is searching for a man or a woman among us who will stand before him in the gap for the land so that he would not bring destruction to it, that you be people of peace. I don't care where you've been or what you've done, who you can be is a source of blessing. Let's go, church. The world is always looking for great leaders, which means the world should always be looking for a Christian. Father, make us, make us yours. We are so thankful that the little bit of our hearts that we have given you, you've done so much with. And so, Lord, if there are loaves and fish that we haven't brought fully to you, let us bring them more of our heart, Lord, less of our idolatry and love for the things of the world. We want to know you more. We want to excel still more, not because we have to perform for you or appease you, but because we see what an amazing God you are. And so, Lord, lead us. We want to decrease, but you increase. May our children and our city and our nation and our world be blessed because you are in us. Thank you that today, any of us that will repent, you will reform. And you'll make us into the measure of a man that you desire us to be so that we can not add to the darkness, not be critical of darkness, but we can create blessing. Oh, Lord, would you teach us more of this, more of your way, that the world may see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. We pray, Lord, that we would lean not on our understanding, but in all our ways acknowledge you. If there's anybody here who does not understand the love you have for them by giving your son to this earth and then to a cross so that we could be forgiven as a sign of your great love, I pray today they would understand it and be unable to leave this room until they do business with you and learn your ways. Be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the other five pages of scripture are coming next week. Leadership part two. Have a great week of worship. We'll see you.